0: quite a group, isn't it? Now be honest. Be honest, church. How many of you are here at this church, mostly just because there's a lot of kids for Waterway 25 and Children's Church and when we dedicate babies? I mean, you don't have to raise your hands, but is that a part of any of it for any of you? It's part of it for me. Honestly, that, that's part of the joy of, of being here at church, is just being around these kids, watching them grow, hearing what they have to say. That's usually fun. Um, and and just, uh, just being able to kind of be a family together. But uh, thank you for being here. Um, We are going through the book of Revelation, and we have uh, for a number of weeks now. And the reason why we're doing this is because Revelation can be an intimidating book to read. It can be an intimidating book to study. There are lots of theories and ideas about it. Too much speculation about it. And frankly, even if you study an awful lot of theology, it's still very difficult. And so sometimes we keep it at arm's length. But we're at a spot now where um, back in the spring, I started thinking about this series for Revelation and tried to study for it over the summer. And then it just kind of came around that our adult Sunday school class taught by John is, is also going through Revelation. And so for some of you, you're getting a heavy dose and you love it. So enjoy it while you have it. Others of you are sick of it. Hang in just a little bit longer. Okay, But the reason why we're looking at Revelation is because this reminds us, this book should remind us that no matter what we face, and there's questions all through the book of Revelation about what will we face. What's the church going to be here for? What's the church going to see? When does God rescue his people? I know there are a lot of questions about that, but the overall message, which reflects the message of the rest of Scripture, is that God looks after his people. God is good, and God is powerful, and God is faithful, and God will see us through. And Revelation can remind us of those truths, that we're not in this life on our own, that even when we face challenges and deep suffering like our Lord Jesus Christ did, we don't have to do it on our own power. Revelation reminds us that Jesus is looking after us and that his power will be perfect. And so just a little bit of quick review. Today we're focusing mostly on Revelation 14, but I'm going to warn you, it's going to take me a couple minutes to get there, okay? Because there's a couple things I want to say first. First of all, reminding ourselves of Revelation 12. It's always good to remember where things fit in this. In Revelation 12, there is this picture of a war, a struggle of good against evil. In fact, in Revelation 12, it says there was war in heaven, God and his angels, that is the angels who were loyal to God, and the devil and his angels. Now, remember, for those of you who, who maybe are a little bit cloudy, God and the devil are not equals. God has been around forever. And at some point in the distant past, God created angels, one of which is the character we know now as Satan. But God created them all good, but they all had choice. And at some point in time, Satan made the choice to rebel against God, and a third of the other angels who were all created by God decided to go along with him. They said, God, we don't want to worship you anymore. We want to go by a different plan. This is how we end up with good angels, bad angels. Sometimes we call them angels and demons. But don't forget, Satan is not an equal match for God, and we're just waiting to see and hope that good wins out. No, we know that good wins out. It's kind of like like the healthy father wrestling with the seven-year-old boy. The seven-year-old boy is full of vigor, and he is ready to go, and he's confident. And maybe dad lets the boy have a couple of small victories. But before things are over, there will come a time where dad will say, okay, this is enough. (laughs) You're pinned, you're done, I'm out. This is a little bit, frankly, of what the picture looks like as we think about God and Satan. Satan, an angel, a created angel, created by God, who made a really terrible choice and is sticking with that choice. Satan rebelled against God. God said, all right, Satan, you have some time. And we're living in that time now where Satan is able to do a lot of messy stuff. God is allowing that for reasons that we don't fully understand. But again, the question comes back, do we trust God? Do we have hope in him? And so in Revelation 12, there's this picture of good against evil, war in heaven. It says that God and his angels fight the devil and the angels who follow after him. And in this chunk of Revelation, Satan is called a great dragon. In Revelation 12, we see that God and the side of good wins this struggle. But God doesn't destroy the dragon yet. God has victory over the dragon, but the dragon is not yet destroyed. And so in Revelation 12, we are given this picture of the dragon and his angels thrown out of heaven, thrown down to earth. And then the dragon and his angels cause all kinds of trouble on earth because they know that they will soon be finished. That's Revelation 12. If you'd like to study more, please do. Revelation 13. Tells us the story of the devil, also known as the dragon in this time. He calls out a beast from both the sea and then a beast from the earth. And there are different descriptions for this beast. And people over history have have talked about these two beasts and, and equated them to this empire and this kingdom and this individual. We are still, there's a lot of mystery here to yet see what this is going to look like. But these beasts, these are symbols for either people or groups of people who do the bidding of the dragon, and they have the power of the dragon upon them. Remember, Satan, this dragon, he was an angel at one time. And what do we see? Over and over and over in scripture, when angels appear to humans, do you know what they very often say? When the angels appear, let's, let's frame it this way. When angels appear to friends of the Lord, they, they appear, think of the shepherds who are out watching their flocks by night, those of you who are warming up for the Christmas season. The angels appeared, and what did they say? There are three words that they almost always put out there first. Do not fear. Why would they have to say that? Because when angels appear, people tend to be afraid. Angels are magnificent creatures, okay? And Satan was one of them. Now, Satan's not as strong as God. Remember, he lost the battle in heaven, but angels are powerful. And so, Satan, an angel, and a third of the angels who were with him, they put their power in these beasts. Revelation 13 talks about it. We're not going to speculate too much about it, but here's what we know. These beasts, one that comes out of the sea, one that comes out of the land, they've got different descriptions and all kinds of different different characteristics. These beasts work together to try to get the people of the world to worship them. Trying to turn people away from God. Satan knows that he has lost the war And he has a little bit of time to fight, and so what he says is, I'm just going to poison the well. I'm I'm just going to try to turn everybody I can against the Lord. This is how much Satan hates God and hates humanity. But these beasts, they work together to try to get the people to worship them. They lie, and people believe them. They get power over the economic systems of the world. They institute some kind of a system where nobody can buy or sell anything unless they have what's called the mark of the beast on their hand or on their forehead. We're told in Revelation 13 that this mark of the beast is like the symbol of men, which is six, six, six. This is man's number. Now, there's a lot of confusion about exactly what does this mean. Will we have a six and a six and a six written on our hands or heads? I'm sorry, we will not, but for those who follow after the beast, what does this look like? Revelation 13, 10 says this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints because terrible things are happening and the world is going to be a mess. Remember that phrase because it's going to pop up again today. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Now, one of the things that I hear most about Revelation and that I hear people talking about, even Christian people, is this fear that we're going to accidentally do something that's going to put us on the wrong side of this battle. I hear, I, I hear people talking about it, and we wonder sometimes, like, well, would I, can I accidentally get like the sign of the beast upon me, which kind of marks me as, as one who is against the Lord? There's a lot of angst that will accidentally do something that disqualifies us. But I just want to remind you, as we've been reading through Revelation, it seems like there are not too many things that are happening by accident. Have you noticed how God over and over and over, just in the book of Revelation as we read it, God keeps coming back to the people of the earth, people who are rebellious, people who seem to be hating the Lord, people who have turned against him, people who are all out on God and all in on the world system. God keeps coming back, sending these calamities, sending these terrible things to get their attention. God is calling them saying, come back to me. In these last days, there are lots of people who are going to turn away from the Lord, but there are lots of people who are going to turn toward him as well. God keeps coming back for people over and over again. God doesn't want to miss anybody. Revelation should remind us how much God loves us because it shows how he pursues us. But I've heard people talk about, well, what if, what if I get the mark of the beast by accident? You know, what, if, what if the mark of the beast is, I mean, over the years have been all kinds of things, what if the social security number that I'm being given is the mark of the beast? Somebody laughed, but this used to be a, a big concern. There are still some people who would say, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be in, because that's a number that identifies me. So there have been concerns about social security numbers over the years. There have been people that were concerned about credit cards. When credit cards came in, I've got this card, now today it's 16 numbers plus the three on the back, right? And, and if, it's, if it's in my hand, it's the number in my hand that allows me to purchase something, and, and is, is that the mark of the beast? Folks in most churches have been praying together, thinking about it, and said, no, that's not the mark of the beast. It's just another way to buy and sell. You can buy and sell without a credit card. Unless, of course, you want to buy your stuff from Amazon. Then you need a credit card so you can let your stuff sit in Los Angeles for six months. But there are questions even now, I mean, in the last year and a half, I've heard, have you heard anyone say, well, is the, is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? Or, or could, the, could the, the COVID vaccine card, if that gets to be a big deal, could that be the mark of the beast? There's a lot of speculation that goes all the time. Here's what I want to tell you, church. I want to tell you, you don't get the mark of the beast by accident. You don't end up on the side of Satan by accident. Sometimes I think that we have wrong ideas about Revelation and some of the signs of Revelation because we have wrong ideas about salvation and the way that the Lord is working now. Just a quick little bunny trail for you. Reuben went on a bunny trail this morning with Romans, so I'm going to take some liberty now with Revelation. Quick little bunny trail. Christians are saved. And when I talk about saved, I'm talking about they belong to the Lord and they will go to heaven when they die. That's salvation. Christians are saved because of what they believe. In biblical language, our beliefs come from our hearts. The heart, biblically speaking, is not just a muscle that pumps blood. The heart is our core identity. It is the place inside us that defines what we believe, and it holds our deepest convictions. God can change hearts. We can change our hearts. But this is our core. And as Christians, we have some control over it. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, the Holy Spirit says, now quoting back to a psalm, today if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in a time of rebellion. Instead, Hebrews 3.12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The heart matters. God is concerned about our hearts. Jesus says this story. There's a story in Matthew 15. Some Pharisees, these were were people who were the the perfect law keepers. These were Jewish men who, who had the laws down pat, and they took a lot of pride in doing all the right things. The Pharisees came to Jesus, who was also a Jewish man, and said about Jesus' disciples, who were Jewish men, they said, your guys aren't washing their hands before they eat. Now this is not the same as your mother or first grade teacher saying, wash your hands before you come to the table. This is not the same thing. There was this ceremonial way that the Pharisees did it. They had a special way that they had to do everything. And Jesus says to these Pharisees, well, you're complaining about the way they wash their hands. He says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And then Jesus goes on, Matthew 15, 7, he says, you hypocrites, talking to these law keepers, these Pharisees, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And this is what Isaiah said hundreds of years before. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from the Lord. God says through Isaiah, these people worship me in vain, but their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him in Matthew 15 and said, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. And the disciples are listening. And they said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? They said to Jesus, Jesus, you basically said that all their ceremonial laws don't matter. This really ticked them off. And Jesus essentially said, I don't care. Well, he said it this way. He said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And the disciples must have still had a dumb look on their face because Peter said, Jesus, explain this parable to us. And so if you're sitting here confused today, you are in good company. Because even Jesus' disciples said, what are you talking about? People are, you know, these these plants being pulled up. Jesus said to them, are you still so dull? And he said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. This is the bunny trail. We're going to wrap it up here in a minute. He says, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. And he lists a bunch of them. He says, these are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Jesus says that following all the little rules is not what saves you. Romans 10 tells us that there's nobody who can be perfect enough to fulfill God's law so that we can be just good enough to get into heaven. Heaven is not, being about, is not about being good enough. Heaven is about, is your heart focused on the Lord Jesus? Romans 10 tells us that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart, believe in your heart, you listen to where this is coming from now. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Jesus will never be put to shame. Salvation does not happen by accident, and falling away from the Lord doesn't happen by accident either. All of these verses come together, and we could talk theology for days, and I believe I could prove to you from the Bible that salvation is based on the orientation of the heart. Yes, if your heart is in the right place, good actions will follow. Yes, if your heart is messed up, bad actions will follow. But so many of us and think about what was drilled into your head as you were growing up. So many of us have been have been convinced that to go to heaven we just need to be a good boy. Just be a good girl. And there are some churches and some religions that teach if you're can just if you're good will just outweigh the bad, then God will be happy with you and you can go into heaven. Christians, that is not how it works. That is not what the Bible says about this. And the Bible is our authority because it is the word of God. The Bible says that our actions matter. God cares about what we do because those things are an overflow of the heart. God wants us to be obedient to him. God wants us to have our eyes focused on him, and he wants us to do good deeds. This is what God created us for. But we are not saved by letting our good stuff outweigh our bad stuff. Even the most vile murderous, stealing, killing, hateful person can be saved. If they will just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm now giving you my heart. I'm turning from all that. I'm repenting and coming to you. The beginning of Jesus' message when he preached on earth, at the beginning of his ministry on earth, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repenting, done this before. Repenting is I've got all this baggage behind me, all this stuff that I've done, good and bad, but there is sin back there. And, and I've been living in this, I've been soaking it up, and I've in fact been promoting myself as just this great, amazing thing. But now that I repent, I am turning away from that and turning to God, turning away from that evil, orienting my heart toward the Lord. Jesus says, Jesus says all who call on him will be saved. Paul through Romans 10 says that, look, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and if you'll confess with your mouth the same thing, then you can be saved. Salvation, I just want to be very clear, church, that salvation is not about being a good boy. I hope that if you're saved, you'll be a good boy, but don't get the cart before the horse. What does that have to do with revelation? Well, here it is. Revelation is telling us the ultimate story of good against evil. And there are a number of passages, little parentheticals, little little side notes, that talk about what it looks like for good to fight evil. And we hear things about how humans, in this case in Romans 12 and 13, or I'm sorry, in Revelation 12 and 13, it's about people getting the mark of the beast and it's on their hand or it's on their forehead and they're deceived and they're falling away from the Lord. See, those things don't happen by accident. Those are things that people choose to do. We're saved by the orientation of our heart, which is something that we have control over as Christians. Now, God certainly works in our hearts and God can direct us around as He wants to, but we're told over and over in the scriptures to focus our hearts on the Lord. If we're told to do that, it's because we can. God doesn't tell us to do stuff we can't do. And so we're told to focus our hearts on the Lord. We have a choice to make about where we focus our hearts. These people in Revelation that are being talked about as taking on this, it's not because, oh, it was was just an accident. I just kind of, somehow I got this number of man on me. It's not coming off. No, these are people in Revelation, and the picture is, these are people who are saying, I'm with Satan, or I'm with the beast, or I'm with 666, I'm with men. And what God says is, no, I want you to be with me. And the picture of Revelation is God having his people marked and known. And God looking out at the rest of the world and seeing Satan's people marked and known. And then there can be justice. This brings us finally to Revelation 14. The Apostle John, who's been, who's been writing down all that God revealed to him, he says, Then I looked. Remember, John is seeing these things. I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now notice, it does not say that these 144,000 and there's nowhere in scripture where you can conjure that these 144,000 are all the believers that there are. There are more than 144,000 people who will be in heaven. There are more than 144,000 people, even at the time of Revelation 14, that are believing in the Lord. But there are 144,000 who have, what does it say? Who had Jesus' name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. You notice the dichotomy here, right? Right? Revelation 13 says that a lot of people in the world, they've chosen to have 666, the mark of the beast or the mark of man, however you want to talk about it. They've chosen to have that on their hands or their foreheads. They're saying, I'm with him. But these 144,000, they're saying, no, no, no. I'm not taking that mark. I'm with God. You, You see, it's almost like the teams are lining up, right? And so it's very clear here that there are people who are able to resist having the mark of the beast upon them. It's not something that you have to do. And so if they can resist, well, we can resist, There are people who were not deceived by the Antichrist or the beast or whatever name you want to put on that. There were people who didn't fall into this whole category of basically the world going insane. There were people in the time of Revelation 13 and 14 who stayed faithful to the Lord. This 144,000 reminds us that it's possible so that if you or I ever have to face this, it's possible to stand up against it. It's possible to know right from wrong. men. And women, we've been told all through scripture that God can help us to know right from wrong. Am I correct? Raise your hand if you, seriously, raise your hand if you've heard that God can help us to know right from wrong. Okay, good. Why would it be any different in these last days? Is God not going to give his faithful followers wisdom to know, wait, that is this terrible mark of the beast. I'm not doing that. I'm only taking God's mark. We're not going to fall away by accident, but many people will fall away by choice. Revelation 14 continues on. John says, I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps, harps, thunder, rushing waters. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. This is is all characters in heaven that have been described since the first chapter of Revelation. This 144,000, they sang a new song. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Again, there's a lot of mystery here. If you're fascinated by this, come to me. I, I can give you some resources. You can study this some more, but we could spend days talking about this if we went really deep. Verse four, these 144,000, these are those who did not defile themselves. Note, note the word defile, right? They're not defiled. These, these people are pure. They're before the Lord. They didn't defile themselves with women for they remained virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind as offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Do you have to be a virgin to be able to get into heaven? No. God blesses marriage. And from the very Beginning of the Bible, book of Genesis, God blessed Adam and Eve, who were perfect at the time, and he said, go forth, multiply. God blesses healthy sexuality. There's simply this special team. There's this varsity team. There's this all-star team. There are these elites, 144,000 of them. They happen to have been, says they're virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from mankind, among mankind, offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. And then John continues on, Revelation 14, 6. I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. This is very interesting. If you are trying to follow some timing stuff, it's difficult sometimes to figure out what's happening in which order in Revelation. But at this time, when this angel's coming out, there have been a lot of people who have already chosen to line up with the devil. It seems like there's this 144,000 who are already aligned with the Lord. It seems like the teams have already been, have already been chosen. And yet, what is this angel saying? He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every tribe, nation, language, and people. Why? What is the point? If the teams are already set, why proclaim the gospel? Well, apparently the teams are not written in stone yet. Do you see the love of our Lord God? Even at this time, even with all the calamities, all the people that Revelation describes as turning against the Lord, even now God sends an angel and says, it's one more message, just one more cast to see if I can get a bite. This angel goes out with this gospel of Jesus Christ to every nation, tribe, language, and people, to everyone. Everyone still on the earth. And he said in a loud voice, verse seven, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. In other words, this is your last chance. This is your last chance, but it's still a chance. Do you see this? This is the message. It should be encouraging to us. This is the message over and over and over in our scripture, but also in Revelation here at the end of our Bible. God loves us so much. He keeps putting his message out there. That's why we're here. God is still using us right now, Christians, church. We are supposed to keep putting this message out there because there are still people who are yet to come into the kingdom of God. God loves the world that much that he keeps putting his offer out there. He says, come on. Come on, guys, last shot. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So there's this last chance, but then in verse 8, it says a second angel followed because we know that there will come a time when we're out of chances. Second angel followed, fallen, fallen as Babylon the great. John did a great job this morning talking about Babylon in Sunday school, talking about what that could be, what that might be. Basically, Babylon is a symbol of all things that are turned against God. It could be economic, it could be uh, political, it, it could be just the way people are living their lives, it could be all of those things. It might be a particular place, it might be a particular attitude, it might be a particular group. It is everything that is turned against God. And the angel says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great symbolizing everyone who has rejected the offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again. The first angel went out and said, everybody, last chance. And everybody who didn't take that last chance is now hearing from angel number two. Fallen as Babylon the great, which made the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. And then a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or their hand. Now remember, these people are worshiping, right? This mark is not just so that I can buy and sell. It's a mark of this is who I belong to, Right? So so look, again, you're not going to accidentally get the mark on you. This is something that you're choosing. You are orienting your heart towards worshiping all that the beast has to offer. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in its image, for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This is where we get this idea of there will be eternal damnation, eternal hell, eternal pain and punishment for those who reject Jesus Christ. Not just for those who rejected Jesus once and then didn't have a chance to come back. Not just for those people who who didn't quite get it and they were just a little bit confused. That's not, that's not, that's not 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 what it's about. This is pain for all the people of history in humanity who have said over and over and over again, I will not worship God. I will not receive Jesus Christ. And I will not accept anything that the Holy Spirit is doing in my heart. Again, salvation doesn't happen by accident, nor does damnation. God makes people with the ability to choose and now the consequences of the choices are being delivered. First angel, follow God. Second angel, Babylon has fallen. Third angel, now there is justice. And again, here in Revelation 14, 12, what does it say? This calls, all of this, this justice, this, the, this smoke, this pain, all of this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Even through all of this, there must be patient endurance by God's people. And then John says, I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. In other words, from, from here on out, it's, it's going to be good for those who follow the Lord to die. They're, they're more blessed even than those who still live. Because it's sometimes just good to be delivered from the pain. How many times does God have to invite people to follow him to be seen as patient? I mean, how many times does God have to put his gospel out there for people to understand that that God is not just sitting back waiting to smite somebody? God, God is not just sitting in heaven watching us, hoping that we step out of line so that he can finally flick us off like a flea. How... How many times, how many chances does God have to give for people to understand that he loves us, that he wants the best for humanity, and that he's not just looking to torture people? The flip side of that question, how many times does God have to invite to be seen as patient, is how long, how long can God wait before he's called Unjust. Reuben read today from Romans chapter 12 that we're supposed to leave room for the Lord's wrath. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He tells the Christian to, to back off. Don't pursue vengeance. God says, I'll do that. Well, how long can God wait before we say, God, you're a liar? You're, you're not bringing your justice. You're not doing... See, God is patient and loves us so much that there is time after time after time after time, but it's not infinite. The chances do not go on forever. There will become a time and Revelation 14 describes it. There will become a time where God says enough. You've had enough chances. Kind of like a kind of like a good parent with that little kid who is just driving them nuts. And I've given you chances to stop, I've given you chances to correct, I've given you chances to apologize. That's enough. Have any of you parents said that? right? There gets to be a time. Does it mean that you hate them because now you're going to discipline them? No. You gave them time and time and time, and it didn't get through. Now enough. We're going to settle this. God settles it. And today we dedicated children at the beginning of this worship service because we know that there are still chances to receive God. We believe We believe that God does work in the hearts of humans and and, and can turn them to him. But we also believe that we have choices to make as well. And so somehow there is a cooperation between God's spirit working in our hearts and our will working out of our hearts. And somehow our hearts get turned to God at some point in our life, if we're a Christian, where we said, I believe in you. All right, God, I'm going to follow you. Again, we can't make that choice for anybody else. Everybody has to make that decision on their own. But what we can do, recognizing that there are still chances, is that we as parents, we as a church, can come together and say, we are going to do everything we can so that we are not a stumbling block to anyone knowing about Jesus Christ and his salvation. We can have our houses ordered in such a way so that everything that happens with mom and dad, we're going to make mistakes, we're still humans, but everything that happens with mom and dad and brothers and sisters is all pointing towards Jesus Christ. So that when that child grows up and is old enough to make a decision about Jesus Christ, that they have every tool in their toolbox that allows them to be oriented towards Jesus Christ and turning towards him. They are going to have to decide whether they turn to Jesus. But we can do a lot of things to encourage them. We get to have a part in God's mission here. And so we still dedicate children. We go through baptisms. We do all of our teaching that we do in Sunday school. And I plead with you from the pulpit, turn your hearts to God. Because there is still time. There will not always be time. And the final day is approaching. We're getting closer to it every day that we live. But there is still time to come to Jesus. I hope and pray that all of you in this room have. Don't wait. Don't wait anymore to give your hearts or your lives to Jesus Christ. Nothing good comes from rejecting him. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you love us enough to keep pursuing us. Lord, there are some of us in this room who have loved you for a long time and and we've been committed to you for a long time. And Lord, we still make mistakes, and yet you pursue us, you call us back, and you forgive us when we repent. Thank you, God. And Lord, there are some in this room who have just never really known you, who have never made a commitment to you. They haven't been sure. They haven't been convinced. They, they just are not aware. Lord, I am thankful that even now, as long as it's today, we have an opportunity for all of us to turn to you. And so Lord, I pray that you would work in all of these hearts in some way so that today new lives will be committed to you. And churches, you're praying with your heads down. I'm just going to look out there. Is there anybody who's making a kind of a first time commitment today? If you're feeling it in your heart, like, I, boy, I, I want to be committed to Jesus, I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, with your head down, nobody's watching you. Would you just raise your hand quickly? Because I'd like to follow up with you if that's you. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, I thank you for the way that you are working. And I thank you that you love us enough to keep following after us. Lord, give us wisdom as we live out our days, that we don't get too fascinated with signs and symbols, but that we just stay faithful to you, that we continue to do the things that we can while we're here while we're here, that we can continue to encourage each other, that we can continue to, to share your gospel with the world. Lord, I'm thankful for, uh, thankful for your love. I'm thankful for this church, and I'm thankful that we get to be part of the larger church around this world and through all of history that is the gathered body of people saying they love you and they give your, their life to you. Thank you, God. We continue to praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, would you stand up and, uh, and sing a closing song along with us? And Remember, it's not about how good these guys are. It's just about lifting our voices up to God. And, and by the way, We're just going to have a quick prayer after this song. If you're sitting in the back and you're like, ah, what's that? There's plenty of room. Just come on up and stand in the front if you'd like to. If if you want to sing from the front, come on up. Sounds a lot better. Up to you. Can we sing?
1: i am the bread of life you who come to me shall not hunger and who believe in me shall not thirst no one can come to me unless the father beckons and i will raise you up and i will raise you up and i will raise you up on the last day i am the resurrection i am the life if you believe in me even though you die you shall live forever and i will raise you up and i will raise you up and i will raise you up on the last day yes Yes, Lord, lord i believe that you are the christ the son of god Who has come into the world? And I will raise you up, and I will raise you up, and I will raise you up on the last day, and I will raise you up, and I will raise you up and I will raise you up on the last
0: day church remember nobody's saved by accident nobody falls away by accident do all that you can do to make sure that your heart is pointed towards the Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness and his salvation. And as you go out from this place to do do as you go out from this place today do